Right, good morning, Chapel Hill. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. So if you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, just go ahead and put your hand up in the air and our ushers will bring you a Bible that you can use to follow along with as we dig into God's Word this morning. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles that we're handing out and you do not have a Bible of your own currently, just go ahead and keep the one that you receive. Uh, there is so much there for you. Um, as they're handing out the Bibles, let me just uh, throw one thing at you. Uh, coming up next Sunday at 9 o'clock, I'm going to have a meeting with anyone who is interested in being part of our outreach team. And uh, we have uh, a couple dimensions of our outreach efforts here at Chapel Hill, primarily global outreach and local outreach, things that we're involved in as a church, and uh, missionaries that we support around the world. And this is a time when we're kind of given this ministry a restart. And so if you have any interest in being a part of that, um, I would encourage you to come next Sunday at 9 o'clock. We're going to meet downstairs and just talk about what things look like moving forward, where we're at right now, and uh, where we might be able to take this as a church and just increase the, the support, the, the, the backing that we're giving our, our missionaries overseas in particular, um, but then opening up some new opportunities here as well in our community, in our city uh, that we can get involved in. And um, one last thing on that is I just want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving towards our, our missions, our outreach fund um, to support the missionaries and ministries that we back um, across, uh, across the ocean, around the world. Um, you guys have done just an amazing job of maintaining that support um, right where it needs to be and we've always been able to be very faithful in supporting those missionaries and um, they do appreciate that. It is, uh, it is a remarkable encouragement to have a church that faithfully supports them like we do. So thank you for that. All right, this morning we continue with our look at the vision that God's given us as a church to move this generation from culture to kingdom. We have begun since the start of this year, 2020, to look at some real life practical issues that we all face that I believe God can redeem in our lives as he moves us from culture to kingdom. The vision that we have applies to us and to the people that we interact with in life. The kingdom of God offers hope for us in so many areas in our lives and so we're going to keep pursuing it. It is to be our primary pursuit. We've looked at the reality that we have a leader who has shown us with his life and in his words the kingdom of God. And that leader is Jesus. We can learn so much about this move from culture to kingdom by watching what he did, by listening to what he said and following his lead with our lives. And we'll look this morning at the impact that he had on someone else's life and what we can learn from that. And the words that come from this other person. On the past two Sundays, we applied our vision to two important life issues. And we're impacted by what the kingdom shows us about these issues. We looked at the difference between pouring our efforts into creating an image for ourselves rather than embracing the image in which we were created. And then last Sunday, we examined our opinions and our words, and we looked at how valuable and powerful the words of Jesus were and some kingdom perspective on words. And let's keep working on that in our lives and watch the impact that our words have on others as we move that area of our lives from the influence of culture to the influence of the kingdom. Now, this morning... 
as we're beginning to see a bit of a pattern in this culture to kingdom movement, I want to look with you at some encouraging and inspiring words that Paul wrote related to how well-equipped we are to make this move. Um, I'll come back to things like this once in a while because I know that we can easily get caught up in the battle to perform better at kingdom principles. So this is going to be a bit of a pep talk instead. And to set up this pep talk, I want to acknowledge with you the reality that we all face every moment of every day. It's an overwhelming reality. This is life for all of us, and this life can push us into a place of merely surviving, which is obviously not what God has for us. And so let me first paint a really gloomy picture for you. This will be fun. And if you feel your anxiety rising as you look at this, please know that hope and encouragement are coming right behind it. Um, This is a realistic look at what I face and what you do as well on a daily basis. There's this image that's going to be up here on the screen. Um, The band... Queen released a song with David Bowie called Under Pressure many years ago. It's one of my all-time favorite songs. Um, It's a really depressing song, but it speaks to a powerful reality in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Everyone lives under this kind of pressure. Let me talk about what this looks like for me a little bit. I live with the pressure of relationships I grow weary of letting people down. I tire under the weight of living up to others' expectations of me. I live under the pressure put on me by our culture. I'm told to conform or be cast out. And there's my nod to the late, great Neil Peart from Rush. Um, I live under the pressure of my own capacity. I can't do it all. I can't be everywhere at the same time. I can't manage the decisions I have to make about my kids and all that they need to be involved in. I live under the pressure of my own sinful nature. I live in the midst of an ongoing daily battle with the desires of the old me that I'm trying to die to. I live under the pressure of the data and images flooding my mind to the breaking point. I I take in so much that I should have protected my mind from, but now I'm stuck dealing with the aftermath and the pressure of today's data and images I live under the pressure of the economy, both on a global scale and on a personal budget scale. I live under the pressure of the political environment. Um, Not being allowed to vote does nothing to get me out from under that pressure. I live under the pressure of the lies and deception that are being fed to me moment by moment by an enemy who wants to devour me and take me away from my father and my savior. And there's more that doesn't capture all the pressure that I face. You know that. And you have your own pressures that you'd add to that list from aging parents to addiction to anxiety to your job and on it goes. And this, this image is naturally where this pressure drives us. We find ourselves in a foxhole fighting for our survival. And either we live there shaking in fear or our enemy makes us feel comfortable there convincing us that this is all there is to life And he's got us right where he wants us, playing defense, ineffective, immobile, but somehow strangely content thinking that we can't get hurt in our own little safe zone there. And it is not a good place to be. In this place, 
We end up living in a pattern of reacting to everything that comes at us. We can't control the pressures. We just have to weather them or fight back to the best of our abilities. But we remain vulnerable and worse, incapable of moving forward or offering anything to anyone else. We have our hands full defending ourselves in our foxhole. I am my sole focus there. I think it's safe to say that none of us really wants to live in a foxhole. And God doesn't want this for us either. He has something else in mind for his creation. In our journey from culture to kingdom, we'll discover that this move can't happen for us in the relative safety of our foxholes. Making the move from image creator <clears throat> to image bearer is not about playing defense and preserving self. Shifting from being someone who merely states their opinion to someone who implements the value and power of words doesn't happen in the context of playing defense and preserving self in our foxhole. Our vision as a church and as individuals is not about defense. The kingdom is not about self-preservation. This morning, I want to encourage all of us to play offense. The best defense is a good offense. We'll see how that plays out this afternoon. That's where I'm coming from this morning, but here's what we're not going to see. Once again, this is not about our performance. This is about our surrender to the one who created us in his image. This is about God in us. And I think this is very encouraging and hopeful. So let's borrow a prep talk from my namesake, Paul. He wrote a couple of letters to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was a spiritual son to Paul. Paul mentored, discipled, taught, inspired, raised Timothy in the way of following Jesus. And in his second letter to Timothy, Paul gave him this pep talk in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And there are a couple of things that I want you to understand before we read this passage. First, please know that this was not a reprimand coming from Paul. Paul affirms Timothy for his faith, even commenting on Timothy's spiritual influences growing up. Secondly, keep in mind that Paul, at the time he wrote to Timothy, was waiting to be executed. Wrap your head around that for a moment. Paul was on death row. He was about to be executed for his faith. And so when Paul mentions suffering in this passage, keep that in mind. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. In light of his own suffering for the sake of the gospel, and in light of Timothy's faith, this is what Paul writes. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, 
Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I've been digesting this passage for a week now, and the deeper I get into it, the more encouraged I am. I'm going to attempt to drag you collectively into my journey and pray that you see some of what I saw looking through this passage. So keep this passage open in front of you and and follow me through this. First and foremost, church, get out of the foxhole. If you know that you are living too much of your life, hunkered down in the foxhole, hoping to survive the pressure that comes at you daily from all those different sources, then at least for this moment, mentally move yourself out of the foxhole. You're not safe there. You're not really living there. You're just surviving and God has So much more for you. So Paul starts with an interesting directive. He tells Timothy in verse 6, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Okay, that's weird and even a little creepy. In many cases, as the Holy Spirit was introduced to the world for the first time, he came through the apostles, through the disciples, and Paul who was given a calling directly from Jesus It seems that that Paul brought the spirit to Timothy or at the very least some spiritual ability that only God could provide and it came through Paul physically placing his hand on Timothy and imparting the spirit to him that way. Whatever the case, Paul's referring to the power of God's spirit in Timothy's life. And this is a great word to us. God's desire for our lives is that we're powered every moment of every day by God's Spirit in us. Sending the Spirit to us was God's way of getting closer to us than he's ever been, making his power and presence and guidance and transforming work available to us at all times. So look at what Paul tells Timothy to do. Um, I love fires, not wildfires, but campfires, bonfires, fires like that. I could sit in front of a fireplace for an entire day and be totally content. Uh, My boys insist that since we don't have a fireplace in our house, we turn the TV on to the channel that shows the video loop of a fireplace on Christmas Day. 
Um, I love tending fires. I love building the perfect fire that looks amazing and burns efficiently. I love staying in a cabin or camping where we have a bonfire, going to bed, getting up in the morning and, and getting that fire going again without using a match or paper or anything. I love rekindling whatever embers remain from the night before. And this is exactly what Paul's charging Timothy to do. Fan into flame the gift of God. God has gifted us with his spirit. And the spirit was referred to using the fire image more than once in the Bible. It's common. God wants his spirit to be front and center in our lives. He invites us to depend fully on his spirit. But if we ignore or neglect the spirit and try to go it alone in life, the spirit fades into the background like a fire going out. And so Paul tells Timothy to fan that spirit back into flame. So what does that mean? Well, here's how I see it. We're to resuscitate the spirit in us. Our fear grows when the spirit diminishes in our lives. We're up against an enemy who's out to get us. The pressure that we're taking, that we're talking about, comes from him, from our enemy. In the midst of this fight, we have a weapon available to us. It's God's spirit. Through the spirit, we have access to God's power, to his wisdom, his life, his protection, and much, much more. We need to give attention to something, to someone that we've neglected We're to give the fire some fuel. We're to give the spirit something to work with. Us. Talk to God. God, fill me with that fire. Take over. Help me. Be my power. Produce love in me. Produce self-control in me. Take my willingness, my words, my life. We're to call the spirit into action by giving him our lives to work with. And when we do that, a fire comes. Brothers and sisters, fan into flame the spirit of God in you. Why? Because as Paul so clearly points out, God's not calling us to live in fear in our foxholes. That's not the spirit that he's given us. Verse seven, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fear is not God's plan for our lives. He wants to deliver us from that fear. Whatever pressure our world is putting on us should not drive us to a place of fear. If we face that pressure alone on our own strength, we will live in fear. There's no way around that. We are not strong enough to overcome the fear that life produces in us. That fear is not a product of God's spirit. It comes from our own weakness. We cannot avoid it, but we can confront it with the spirit. Paul says that the spirit produces power, love, and self-control in us. Let me say a few words about that power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That was a promise that Jesus made. That promise was fulfilled. In Acts 4, 33, we see that the power had come. 
says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. That power was there. The church that we're a part of today came into being because of the power and presence of God's spirit. And that power is still available to us, to you and me right now. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesians 3.16. He prayed that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul reminds Timothy that we've been given a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear. And then also in verse 7, Paul mentions two other components of the spirit that we've received. He speaks of love and self-control. These are both gifts of the spirit. These are kingdom products that the spirit produces in our lives. Love is such an obvious one. Jesus made it clear how important love is to us. Remember his answer about the greatest commandments? Luke 10, 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Love is an offensive move, not a defensive one. Love is a verb, it's an action. Love is following our leader, Jesus, and doing what he did. Much more on that to come later in this series. Paul also mentions Self-control, he's talking about discipline in our lives. Reacting out of self-preservation to the pressures coming at us is not self-control. Putting our own reactions and fears and insecurities in their place is, and again, this is not something that we do just on our own strength. The Spirit creates self-control in us. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Twice in this passage, Paul mentions being ashamed. Here he points out that because we have the power of the Spirit in us, we have nothing to fear. Fear breeds shame. We fall short of believing in the power of the gospel and become ashamed of the very thing that saved us. So let me remind us of something this morning. There is nothing about what Jesus did that falls short for us or for anyone else. Nothing. His saving power and grace are flawless and have no limit And we'll acknowledge that later when we share communion together. The gospel, the good news of what God did for us through Jesus is central to everything about who we are and what we do, church. If God's moving us from culture to kingdom in our personal lives, the gospel is central. We can't move without the grace and forgiveness that was extended through Jesus on the cross. If we're leading someone else from culture to kingdom, the gospel is central. God sent Jesus to save them and bring them back to their creator. In no way does the work of Jesus on the cross and through the grave fall short of what we need as human beings. It is fully sufficient and will never fail in what it was intended to do. We needed to be saved. So does the world around us. 
And the work of Jesus on the cross fulfills that need completely. It does not fall short. It never fails. And it's the gospel that we carry out of that foxhole and into the mission that we've been called to participate in. It's a message that we cannot be ashamed of no matter what it might cost us. Paul knew what it would cost him. Where was he when he wrote this letter? He was awaiting execution. Still, not ashamed. He would not back away from the very thing that cost him his life and saved his life. The power of God's spirit would carry him through it all. Verse nine, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God invited us into the mission of Jesus Christ. We can't and won't take that lightly as a church. We'll embrace this call without fear and unashamed because the gospel is perfect. We'll move as a church towards embracing Paul's conviction and his devotion. We'll respond to his words as if we were Timothy. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. And which, our holy calling, now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. This gospel is what Paul was commissioned to proclaim. And it's the cause of his suffering. Now, I doubt that any of us are going to sit on death row someday for our faith. The risk looks different for us. We may lose influence, reputation. We may lose friends. We may lose more. But we're called to carry out Jesus' mission with Paul's conviction and by the sufficient power of God's spirit in us. And here comes the pep talk again. Are you intimidated by the prospect of sharing the gospel with the people around you? Are you concerned about what it may cost you? Then let's listen to Paul, the rest of verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now take a deep breath and let that encourage you. What a verse. Until the day we die or Jesus returns, Jesus has promised to watch over us and the calling that he's given us. He's promised his spirit and delivered. He's with us. He's our strength. He's our power. He's our confidence. He is everything that we need to accept his invitation to join him in moving this generation from culture to kingdom. Jesus will be all that we need just as he was for Paul. Power, love, and self-control will come from him. He will be our guard. In verse 13, Paul tells Timothy to follow his words with faith in Jesus and love for the people around him. And he closes the pep talk with these words. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, 
Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So here's where we go with all this. Church, get out of the foxhole. Take the gospel with you. Trust the spirit for power and love and self-control. Accept the invitation to join Jesus in his mission and watch over what's been given to you, the saving truth about Jesus. Don't let anyone or anything snatch it away. Move from fear to power, love, and self-control. Do not be ashamed. You are not alone, church. You're not alone. The kingdom provides us with all that we need to face whatever the world throws at us, even if it's death. We don't have to live as victims of the pressures that we're under. Fan into flame the spirit in you and go face the world. We're going to close our time this morning by remembering this guy, the one who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What he did was and is sufficient and perfect. What he did equips us to face the world with hope and power and love and self-control. This is Jesus crucified. And that's what we're gonna remember this morning as we come to the table. We're gonna remember the reality of the gospel, the very thing that saved you and me. We're gonna remember the work that was done. God sent his son to die for you and me so that we wouldn't have to live in the foxhole. We wouldn't have to just survive life, just hang on for all we're worth under all the pressure that's coming at us. He came and he died in our place to reunite us with God through his spirit. And that spirit and all that comes with God's spirit in us is available to every single one of us every moment of every day. So there is no reason for us, church, to live in the foxhole. There is no reason to just hang on and hope for the best. There is no reason for us to to put our, our trust and our hope in whether or not we can handle all the pressure coming at us. We don't have to. We have been given God's spirit. Spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And that's available to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. What a tremendous gift. Do you know who you believe in? Then come to the table this morning with confidence that he is able to keep that gift that he's given you and me safe. He can do it. And I ask that you would consider this, that you would consider as you come this morning because of the fact that these elements represent the gospel, they represent the truth about what Jesus did for us. I ask that you would come with this question on on your mind. 
Am I ashamed of this? Does this fall short for me? This is something we all have to reconcile. Because above and beyond anything that life puts in front of us, there's the gospel truth about Jesus Christ. There's the truth that the gospel is perfect and sufficient. And we're being called this morning to stand on that, to follow Paul's example. And it comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Where is that confident? Can we stand before God this morning and say, I am not ashamed? Sometimes it hurts to ask that question. But this is our reality. Paul says twice in this part of his letter to Timothy, he refers to the idea of being ashamed. He says, I am not ashamed. And he tells Timothy, do not be ashamed. Because what Christ did for us is sufficient. Not just to save us from something, but to give us everything that we need to get out of the foxhole and face life with power, love, and self-control. Claim that this morning. Affirm that to God this morning. I am not ashamed. I will live according to the power of the Spirit in me. And I leave you with this. Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame what you've been given. Make this moment the time that you do that. Have you neglected and ignored the spirit in your life for far too long? Then fan into flame what you've been given. That power is ours. And we're called to bring him back into the forefront and let him be everything that we need. It's a lot to take in from one little passage. It's an incredible pep talk. Take anything and everything that you can get from that passage this morning and sink it deeply into your heart and use it to fan into flame the gift of God's spirit in you so that he will become everything that you need. He will become your power and he will produce in you love and self-control. I'm going to invite the elders to come now and prepare to serve the elements in our worship team. If they'd come to lead us in song as we celebrate communion together. Um, so let's pray. Let's you and I pray for a few minutes here before we share communion together. Just come to God right now. Just close your eyes and focus entirely on him. And in your spirit and in your mind, I invite you to say to God this morning, Father, I am not ashamed. Because what you have given me in Jesus Christ, in his work for me on the cross and through the grave, it is sufficient, it is perfect, it is all that I need, and it is all that I have to offer the people around me. Father, we do that this morning. We just declare that to you. We declare it with thanksgiving. We declare it with joy. We declare that what Jesus did was enough. 
We declare that through what he did, the spirit, your spirit, has been made available to us. And we thank you for the spirit. We thank you for coming to dwell in us to be everything that we need. We thank you for your power. We thank you for producing love and self-control in us. We thank you that as we look at everything coming at us in this world, all the pressure that we're under every single day, we have everything that we need to face it, to get out of the foxhole, to carry the mission and message of the gospel with confidence, with power, and face the world as those who have been called by you into the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ. So God, thank you for making this possible. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, for the gift of the cross, for sparing us from having to go through that, giving us your son to take our place. And we come to celebrate him and what he did this morning. We come to declare to you, Father, we are not ashamed and to fan into flame the gift that you've given us to be everything that we need to face everything that we face for your kingdom, for your glory, and in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.